Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Coming up on today's show, this month marks the 49th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing on the moon. Much of the videotape of the moon landing was lost. We'll tell you how. Amazon is buying Ring. How did this shark tank flop? turn into a $1 billion company. And in Profiles in IT, we'll talk about Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, who developed binary arithmetic. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Ooh, very good. Wow, look at that. We got an email from Jim in Bowie. Dear Tech Talk, I listened to some uh, to Tech Talk what, last Saturday, and you had an email where someone asked how you could reduce the cost of Verizon Wireless. And you mentioned that Verizon has a prepaid plan that they don't really advertise. So I went to the Verizon office in Bowie and asked about the prepaid plan. I explained that we bought our current phones from Apple. We have no desire to get their so-called free phone because we don't want to upgrade every two years. And that we're currently on month to month. So they were happy to switch me over to the prepaid plan. Our current plan gave us six gigabytes of data. When I switched to two prepaid plans, I got one cell phone has seven gigabytes of data, and the other one has three gigabytes of data. That's mine because I don't use much data. So we have a total of 10 gigabytes of data between the two phones. That's up from six gigabytes of data on the full plan, and I'm saving $75 a month. That's crazy. Got more data, cheaper rates. Mm. The prepaid plans are the way to go. And then what happens is that now prepaid plans actually have been in Europe for a long time. If you go to Europe, you go to Asia, they're all prepaid plans. And nobody has their cell phone built into the cost of the program because you're paying anywhere from 20 to $30 a month to basically pay for your phone. And then you so you really don't get a free phone. You pay for it, but they, it's just sure. an installment plan. But the trouble is, if you don't upgrade every two years, you keep paying that twenty to thirty dollars a month. And so you're much better off getting a prepaid plan. And when you want to upgrade your phone, just go, just go upgrade the phone. I think U.S. consumers are getting more informed, and prepaid plans are going well, to become more popular. Okay, so how come? I mean, truth in advertising. How can they call it truly a free phone when it's not? I know it's not. It's what what they're saying is that your plan cost covers your plan and the phone is free. Yeah. But it's not free. It is not free at all. It is really a misadvertising. That's what I'm saying. How can they do that? Well, just you know, they can. They can. (laughs) Because they can just say that the network costs that much. All right, okay. You know But it's not true. It isn't true. And so, and, but now consumers are catching on, and they were hiding these plans. But now, because some cell phone companies are now beginning to push them, even Verizon is allowing people to switch over, and they're allowing people to discover it because they were losing too many people to the other carriers on prepaid plans. So, Jim, I'm glad you had a great success there on that prepaid plan. Yeah, really. We got an email from uh, Alice in Alexandria, dear Doc and Jim. Help me with a big debate that I'm having with my son. Whenever I type a document, I use two spaces after every period. Whenever my son types a document, he uses one space after every period. He says that I'm old-fashioned and that two spaces slows him down and does no good. Now, what's the rule for typing documents? That's a very good question. This is a a critical thing, and it it probably is an age thing. I'm a a two-spacer myself. And that, that comes from a long time ago. Well, this is the beauty, Alice. There was just a study done by Skidmore College, 
And the name of the study was, Are Two Spaces Better Than One? <laughs> and so it's the effect of spacing following periods and commas. It appears in the current issue of Attention, Perception, and Psychophysics. Rebecca Johnson did the study. Now, what they did, they actually had students reading uh, articles. Some had two spaces and some had one space. And what they discovered was that if there are two spaces after the period, it increased the reading speed of the average participant by 3% hmm. because they were able to register the end of the, of, of the sentence quicker. Now, this is an average of nine additional words per minute above their normal performance of the one-space conditions. So, based on the study at Skidmore College, Alice, I would say that two spaces has won one round one of the competition. Let your son know this and enjoy the moment. Well, but see, <laughs> if you tell him this, he's, he's going to be more steadfast. Because yes. he wants to do something different than mine. That's exactly right. I'll tell you, this whole two-space, it started out with uh, uh, typewriters, which are fixed pitch. Mm -hmm. And you've got a fixed pitch typewriter. There's so much space between the letters that having two spaces between the sentences really look good. Then when they went to variable pitch fonts that you have on computers, those fonts are spaced closer. So it turns out, in fact, that one space after the period, looks okay mm -hmm. because the variable space fonts are packed tighter. So people who grew up on a typewriter are two-spacers. People who grew up typing on a computer tend to be one-spacers. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a generation gap. But I'm glad that the psychophysics analysis showed that two-spacers are better. Now, if you shift <laughs> into italics, does that make a difference? It could. It could. See? See it, and it, that's where two spaces would definitely be better than it, one. It could. So that's that's another psychophysics test. That's round two. That is round two. So anyway, I just thought uh, that was an interesting interesting study. And it is. Alice, it's, it came out at just the perfect time for your email. We got an email from Dennis in Arkansas. Dear Tech Talk, I heard that Apple slows down your phone as the battery degrades. I don't want this feature. I prefer the full capability of my phone and then simply recharge it more often. Can I disable the iPhone CPU throttling feature? Enjoy the podcast, Dennis, in Arkansas. Well, Dennis, you can. They just did an upgrade. You're going to have to make certain you got the latest operating system, iOS 11.3. And you'll see that when you, there, there will be a new icon in that operating system called Battery Health. So you can click on battery health, and there are a couple of options. One is, option is maximum capacity, which it gauges your battery's health. So like the maximum capacity, like it only charges up to 90% of what it did when it was new. So you, you really want your maximum capacity as close to 100% as possible. And then, and that lets you know the actual capacity of your battery relative to its new state. Brand new batteries are 100%, and it'll just gradually drop over time. The second option there is peak performance capability. This will let you know whether your device is in, has, is, is, is in slowdown. If the battery currently reports that it supports normal peak performance, then the device has never experienced any kind of reason for slowing down or shutting down, and so there's no throttling. But if you are unable, if your battery is unable to deliver the necessary power at peak, then it will automatically apply performance management, which means that your iPhone's processor is slowed down. So if you go back, if you go back to the peak performance capability and you see performance management listed, then you know your CPU is being slowed down. And at that point, you have an opportunity to, uh, to basically opt out of the power management. Now, what Apple says, if you do that, your, your iPhone may occasionally just turn off if there's too much of a battery demand, and, and, it, and it can't meet it. Now, if your battery, though, has these issues, I would recommend you replace it because you can replace your iPhone battery now for $29 in 2018 because IBM got so much blowback with this CPU throttling feature that they reduced the normal cost of battery replacement from $79 to $29 to, for 2018. You see, people had this sneaky feeling that Apple was slowing the computer down after about two years 
so that you would be encouraged to get a new iPhone. It was part of a planned obsolescence. Mm-hmm. That is the root of the blowback. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, now Apple denies that. They're saying they're just trying to take care of the customer. Of course they do. But uh, but because of that blowback, they are offering a deal on the back. And the good news is, I was just checking on that. They they because of this, there was a huge demand for battery replacement, and they they said like a three month, a two month backlog to order your battery. Apple has said the backlog is done. You can go in now and you can get a new battery right away. But you have to do this at an Apple it store. It has to be at an Apple store. Which means you have to set up an appointment. Generally, uh, you have to if you're going to have something done. Yes. Have you Have you ever Here's been? Here's the thing at an Apple store. Okay. If you're not going to buy something, you need an appointment. Right. If you're going to buy something, no appointment right, required. Right, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, but you can only get this price at an Apple store. Yes. Only at an Apple store. And it used to be that they would not replace the battery unless it failed the test. Now, doesn't matter. Can, can they do it while you wait, or do you have to leave the phone for a day or two? You, it depends on how much work they have. There is, it gets a fair amount of it. You know, it takes probably an hour to replace right. the battery because it's glued in. Right. So they have to take off the screen, and the battery is like a like a. Uh, it's like a little bladder, right? It's, it's like thin. It, it's like a thin bladder. It looks like a like a thin, uh, you know, aluminum foil bladder, and it's and they and they have to very carefully remove it and then solder solder the new one back in. So it, it takes a while. So they were saying when there was this backlog and they were they were doing so many battery changes, you'd, you'd have to leave your phone there for a few days. So, but now I think it's I think it's much less time now. So we've had this discussion before. The, the the battery is basically because it's thin. It's basically the size of the phone. That's the, the, right. The, the, the width, the, the, the width and length. That's of it. right. It's basically the size of the screen. So the newer phones that are bigger, theoretically, do they have a longer battery? They life? do. That's why the that's why the iPhone Pluses have have, have higher battery life. The bigger wow. the phone, the 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 better the battery I'm life. I'm so smart. You you are really on it, Jim. You are wow. just. Wow, I've, I've been reading stuff while you, you were gone. You are just a tech guru. There got an email from Stu in Kilmarnock, Virginia. Dear Tech Talk, I have to send a fax to a business associate in California. Now they are firmly grounded in the last century. They only want a fax. They don't do email with PDF attachments. I don't have a fax machine at my house. Now, my printer will create a PDF file and save it to my computer. Is there any way that I can send this PDF file as a fax without having to print it out on paper, go down to some local store, and use their fax machine to send it? Love the show, Stu in Kilmarnock. Well, Stu, you are in luck. There are a few free fax services that are ad-supported, that will allow you to send a file as a fax. I'll just, I mean, there are like five or six. I'll give you two of my favorites. And, uh, you know, these, these, I've actually used the, use these to, to fax things to my lawyer and my real estate agent. Cause these guys are like fax centric. You try to send them an email with a PDF, they don't know what you're talking about, but they'll give you the fax number. The first one is getfreefax.com. No, got, gotfreefax.com. You just, Go at, go to that website, gotfreefax.com, enter your information, like the sender, enter the recipient's information, the fax number, then you upload your PDF file or your, or your Word document file, and, and then you, uh, or you can paste text into a rich text box. If you just have, you can just do cut and paste and paste it in, and then you just simply hit send. And it will convert it to a fax format, and it will fax it to that phone number. Now, the only limitation is that your fax cannot be more than three pages, and you can only do two faxes per day. But for the casual user, that's just plenty good. Now, if you want to pay a little bit of money, you know, like $1.99, you can eliminate the ads because the cover sheet has ads on it. And then you can send more faxes per day or longer faxes. But... Gotfreefax.com is what I use when I got to just make a quick fax to my attorney or to my real estate agent. Now the second one that is that is not bad is Fax Zero. Fax Zero. It's a free service. It's essentially an online email where you can type in the sender, the recipient, the text message into a text box, or you can attach a document and you send it, and it will just send your email to a fax machine. And it's the same thing. There are ads in the cover page. You're allowed three pages plus the cover. This one allows you to do five free faxes a day, which isn't too bad. 
For $1.99, you can send up to 15 pages per document without any ads on the cover sheet. So, Stu, you do have two good options, GodfreeFacts.com and Fax Zero, and you can send your faxes right from the comfort of your own home. We got an email from Kim in Arlington. Dear Tech Talk, I'm doing some research and need to record my phone calls using my iPhone. This is a short-term project, and I don't want to spend a lot of money on fancy hardware. Is there a simple app on the iPhone for recording incoming outgoing phone calls? Love the show, Kim in Arlington. Well, Kim, there's no direct way to do this that's built into the iOS operating system of the iPhone. But there's some easy software options. There is a program called Tapacall. That's, that's a pretty clear name, Tapacall. Yeah. Tapacall is by far the most popular on the iOS. It's an app. It's an iOS app. The uh, the light version it has got 4.5 stars out of 5 with over 4,000 reviews. So probably those are real because with 4,000 reviews, they're probably not all fake. And then the uh, the pro version is 4.6 over 5, and it has over 8,000 reviews. And the app is simple to use. The interface is really easy to record both incoming and outgoing calls. It's And it's then when you record the call, you can export the call to an SMS, to a text message, to Dropbox, to Evernote, or to more. Tape a call light is free. You can try it for one week, and then it costs, it's only free for one week, and then it costs 2 to $5 a month. Two Type to five dollars? What are they? Two to draw a number out of a hat? <laughs> I don't know why it's two to five dollars a month. Actually, it, it doesn't. Why wouldn't it just be like two point five dollars? I don't know. Two point five dollars. Otherwise, two dollars. Yeah, two to five dollars. <laughs> two to five dollars uh, a month. Maybe that depends on volume. How many calls? That's I guess. a good. That's a good guess. Tape a call Pro is ten ninety nine for a year with additional in app purchases to unlock more features. So now. That is actually a pretty good option if you if you want to record the calls. Now, if you really want the super cheap option and don't want to pay anything, here's what you can do. Put your call on speakerphone and then use a device like a Mac or an iPad to record it. So just turn on the recorder, put your call on speakerphone, and just let another device record it. You know, if you're just going to do one or two calls, that, that works fine, but you'll, but you'll pick up a background noise in, in the room and also, the, the call will sound a little different to the person you're talking to, and they'll realize it that you're on speakerphone, and it may affect the conversation. Okay, so here's something. When you record a phone call in some states, you have to let people know that you're recording a phone call. In some states, you must tell them that you're recording the phone call. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people have gotten themselves in lots pe- of trouble have. doing that. So, uh, Kim, check the law to make certain that you are allowed to do this. But just to be safe, tell them you're recording it, and you'll be covered in any case. We got an email from Catherine in Alexandria. Dear Tech Talk, I use an exchange email server at work. Now, in order to access my email at home, I'm required to use a VPN with Outlook, and it just is so complicated. And I'm always not on my laptop with a VPN. Sometimes I'm at a desktop at somebody else's house. Sometimes at the library, and I'd like to check my email. Is there an easy way to access my email, particularly when I'm traveling? Love the show, Catherine in Alexandria. Well, Catherine, you're in luck. The Exchange server has a web interface, and you can you and you can reach it just through a browser. Let's suppose that the domain name of your company is domain.com. Then, in all likelihood, the web interface for the Exchange server would be mail dot domain dot com that's usually their standard format so just go to the web address mail dot domain dot com where domain dot com is the name of your domain name of your company then you simply use the browser and and the, and the login screen will show up just put in your credentials log in and boom you're set now the funny thing is the 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 uh the uh interface the web interface does not work very well with internet explorer <laughs> It doesn't display very well, and you have to go in and make some changes to the baseline configuration to have it work on Internet Explorer. But it works great with Chrome, with Firefox, and with Edge. So whenever I use the web interface, I always use Chrome. And uh, and and the reason I always use the web interface is that when I go through the VPN with Outlook, Outlook I think is just a it's just it's got so many features it's just slow. But when I use the web interface, it's snappy. So I use the web interface a lot. 
and uh, and I don't have to do all that VPN stuff. That was a good email, Catherine. Hope best of luck getting to your web interface for your Exchange server. We got an email from John in Richmond. Dear Doc and Jim, I get a message that shows hard disk failure is imminent. Please back up your hard disk and have it replaced. That's pretty extreme. Yeah, really. Looks like something is about ready to happen. So I set up the I set up I, I immediately started backing up the system. But halfway through the backup, it stopped. Some of the files are encrypted and some are not. I copied the files which were not encrypted to my external hard drive. But the remaining files which were encrypted, I was not able to copy or open. Please give me an idea how to recover my files. Enjoy, recover my files. Enjoy the show, John in Richmond. John, you've got a problem. You're, you, know, you were warned that your hard drive was about to fail, and then it did fail. And you, you really don't have a complete backup. Now, it depends what the failure is. If the failure is due to magnetic medium, something on the magnetic medium is damaged, SpinWrite could work. And I have actually recovered hard drives using SpinGuide. SpinWrite's a program by Gibson Research. You can go to grc.com and you can download SpinWrite. It's like, I think it's $49. You have to be able to boot from the SpinWrite CD image. Because, obviously, your computer won't boot. And so once you boot up on the SpinWrite CD image, it will start doing a deep-level scan of your hard drive, and it will try to recover the data from the system. And I have actually recovered data from a hard drive where the magnetic medium was damaged, and it just worked beautifully. But it's slow. It's very slow. It could take all night to scan your mm. hard drive. There's no guarantee you'll recover your data, but that's what I would try first. That assumes that it's caused by magnetic medium failure, like a scratch or, or something or a blemish on the magnetic medium at a, at a key part of your hard drive. Now, if it's caused by electronics on your hard drive, this is not going to work. So your next option, if the data is really important, your next option is go to recovery service. These recovery services, if it's if it ha, if it is the electronics, they'll actually take the magnetic disk out. They'll put it into another item, and they'll they'll use it. They, they actually they actually are quite good at recovering your data, but you pay for it. You're gonna it's several hundred dollars, starting. Wow. And they'll and they'll and typically they'll they'll then give you back a hard drive with your data on it. So if this is really valuable data, you could go to recovery service and these guys are pretty good and they will recover, you know, as much as they can. So I've never used a recovery service because I've always been able to recover the data from my hard drive. And I've I've had a few hard drive failures. That's why but you that's know why I back doing. up that's why I back up so much. That's mm-hmm. why I back up all over the place because it's not it's not fun to go in there and, and get data off, off of a hard drive that's failed. Now hard drives fail all the time, so you gotta be prepared and keep and keep them backed up. You know, if you'd have, if you'd have backed up your data you wouldn't have this problem. That's why I've got a mirror backup running at all times on my laptop. I'm backing up to Carbonite. I'm backing up to other things. So like that one time when my wife drove off with my laptop on the top of the car and it got run over. <laughs> now you've revealed the identity publicly of the oh, person involved. Oh, that was oh, not public oh, information. Oh, that's right. Oh, someone, someone. <laughs> it's a little late now. Too, yeah, I drove off and, and then denied doing it. Uh, but... Uh, I, when that happened, uh, I was able. Even, I, I mean, the hard. You know, my computer was completely run over, and there was nothing there. But because I had such thorough backups done incrementally all the time, I recovered all the data. I bought a new computer, hooked it up to my backups, and I was up and running. It, it took took a couple hours to download all this stuff, but I, but I was up and running in in a morning with without having lost anything. So the key is backup. So. Try spin right. If that doesn't work, go to a data recovery service. Best of luck. That is a tough problem. Yeah, John. it is. We got an email from June in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm having trouble with my Windows Update feature. What do you suggest? I mean, it just sits there and churns and never and never gives me the update. Hmm. I just got my new computer and and I'm already having this problem. Love the show, June in Fairfax. Well, June, there. Uh, Quite a few people have an update or having updates problems on their with their Windows machines, and so Microsoft has has created an update troubleshooter. 
it's an update troubleshooter, which so that way you don't have to go to the help desk. So you can you can go to the update troubleshooter. It's designed for Windows 7, Windows 8.1, and Windows 10. So if you if you got Windows 8, you've got to upgrade to Windows 8.1 in order for this to work. 7, 8.1, and 10. And it will guide you through the steps to fix problems with your updates, such as taking too long to scan, error codes while installing. And this step-by-step guide will walk you through all the issues. It's really quite good and quite thorough. So what you want to do, you go to the Windows Update Troubleshooter, you download it. Then you select Save uh, in a folder, then go to the folder, and then you double-click on the folder, and it'll be... You're going to double-click on DIAG CAB file to run the troubleshooter. And then next, you're going to follow the steps in the wizard to fix the problem. So you can you can actually probably just Google Microsoft Update Troubleshooter. And then I'll have a link here, which is kind of complicated, which I'll post to the website on Monday. Best of luck, June, with your updates. I think you'll get this fixed because Microsoft has a pretty good tool for you. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, I think that my Facebook account has been hacked. Uh-oh. Ooh, Lily. Well, Lily, uh, Facebook has a lot of people who have their Facebook accounts hacked. Usually it's because of weak passwords. So there's a Facebook hacked account page. It's basically facebook.com slash hacked. Uh, or if you just type Facebook hacked account page, Google will take you right there. Click on the link that says My Account is Compromised. Enter your password and follow the instructions. Once your account has been reinstated and is back under your control, reset your password from account settings. They'll go through a few questions to verify that the account is yours. They also might ask, you know, that, you know if you've got two-factor authentication, any data that you've put in to, to verify your your identity, they're, they're going to ask you because they're not just going to let anybody, anybody get, get the account. And once you've proven that you are who you are, you can, uh, they, they, you'll get back control of your account. Now, the one thing you don't want to do is if somebody's stolen your account, you don't want to just create another Facebook account with the same email, account, email address. That will just delete your – you'll never be able to get your old account. I, somebody, I know somebody who did that, and they, they couldn't get back their old account. So don't create a new account. You want to work to get your old account back. Uh, by the way, you know, they, some questions in here, if you put in trusted friends, um, that's very useful because if, if in your account, when you, when you go to the security section, there's something called trusted friends, and if your account is hacked – your trusted friends can be used to verify that you are who you are. Interesting. It's it, and that's probably the quickest way to do that. But if you don't have any trusted friends, you'll have to do some other some other things. But trusted friends is the quickest way to do it because what what you'll do is you'll, they'll, they'll they'll talk to these people and they'll say, yep, that's then and they'll and they'll verify your identity. So well, if you don't have any trusted friends, you're doing something wrong. You are you're in you're in, in your trouble. Life. So once you get that, so once you get your account back, you want to, of course change the password. Then you want to look on all the apps and you want to look under the apps that you use. Make certain they haven't installed any apps. You want to edit the settings. You want to delete any suspicious apps that may have been used to compromise your account. You want to notify your friends that your account was hacked so they could ignore anything that was sent to them. And if your password is the same on other accounts, change those passwords immediately. Lily, best of luck getting back your Facebook account. Indeed. I know that's really when, especially if you have self-itis. It's a, it's it a tough be, moment. It could be a tough moment for you. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you at the next show, or we might email you immediately if it's an emergency. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Dr. Richard Schertz, is there anything he doesn't know? Dr. Now Rich- it's... Uh, no kidding. Okay. I was a little anxious there. And Sorry about that. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments on the show. Profiles in IT. And today we're going to talk about Godfrey Wilhelm Leibniz. Now, Godfrey Wilhelm Leibniz developed binary arithmetic. Mm-hmm. You know, binary numbering system. It's You only have zeros and ones. Binary comes from the root. It's a Latin root, binarius, which stands for two by two. So I guess all the animals went into Noah's Ark by bi- <laughs> binarius. Really, the beginning of the binary system. They just didn't know that. Yes. That's right. Now Leibniz. Now the reason that he's on profiles in IT, of course, all the current computer systems use binary. Without binary, uh, we'd be toast. Uh, he was born <laughs> in 1746. He died in 1716. Now, wait a minute. Do the Uh-oh, math there, eight, Doc. Uh, 17, <laughs> no, he uh, he was born in 1646 ah, okay. and died yeah, yeah. in 1716. Yeah, there's a little uh, time. Hold on, I'm going to have to check our research department here. Uh. <laughs> uh, let me check that. Uh, yeah. yeah, why don't you check yeah, that? You yeah, Google yeah. the Doc you or Google that. Mr. Okay. Leibniz. Now, uh, Leibniz uh, contributed. He was one of the, a real Renaissance man. He contributed to law, history, theology, politics, engineering, geology, physics. Stuff. Yeah. Get this. At age eight, he began to teach himself Latin so he could read some of the some of the research articles. I mean, if you could, he was obviously wired differently than most people. A few years later, he taught himself Greek so he could read research papers. But remember, this was in the age when pretty much everybody who was worth anything knew Greek and Latin. Yeah, that's right. Now he he uh, he studied logic and was always looking for the universal language that could be used to describe all things philosophical and all things By the way, Doc, it, it was 1646. Okay. And 16. here you can see a picture of him with all his hair. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yeah. That's, very, that's uh, quite an ugly... Yeah. That must be a wig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a, that is quite the ugly look. You yeah. Know? I don't know. Yeah, they all, they all pretty much wore wigs back then. It's yeah. Not, it, 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 I'm sure it must have been uh, look good for the time, but right now you look at it and and if you see somebody walking like that down the street, mm. I tell you, he he had trouble picking up. He had trouble picking up anybody at a singles bar looking yeah. like that. He's got the hairband look going <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Now at age 20, he published a dissertation on the art of combinatorics, combinatorics, in which he sought the universal symbolic language that would re- reduce all debate to calculation. Now, during his time in Paris, he became acquainted with uh, many of the leading philosophers of the day. He read the unpublished manuscripts of Pascal and Descartes. Now, he felt that his uh, he, w- he didn't have a full uh, background in mathematics, so he met Christian Huygens in, uh, while he was in Paris, and he learned uh, some of the contemporary mathematics from him. He continued to develop his mathematical skill. Get this. He invented differential and integral calculus as part of that activity. He did this independently, by the way, of Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton is the guy that we all know and love as as the inventor of calculus. He did an independent uh, development of this, and his notation for 
integral calculus, which is this little long squiggly thing for used for the integral sign, that is his notation. It's also his notation, which is used for the differential, the D for differential or derivative. So we're still using the notation of Leibniz for uh, calculus, although I think uh, Newton did get most of the uh, most of the credit. Uh, now, a dispute with Isaac Newton over the invention of calculation scandalized his life because, okay, this is what people were saying because there was this big fight, that, you know, national pride between Germany and Britain. And the Brits thought, okay, this German is trying to steal this, uh, the, the, the notoriety of inventing calculus from a rightful British citizen. And they found evidence that he had read one of Newton's unpublished papers mm. and secretly got the idea of uh, taking limits and infinitesimals from, um, from Newton. Don't it, touch my infinitesimals. Don't touch your infinitesimals, yeah. Mm. And so, anyway, the... Um, and then in night in 1703, now this is finally when we get to what's relevant to Tech Talk. In 1703, he published an article called An Explanation of Binary Arithmetic Using Only the Characters 0 and 1. He was still seeking the universal language. Of binary enumeration, Leibniz writes, it permits new discoveries, arithmetic and geometry, because when the numbers are reduced to the simplest principles like 0 and 1, a wonderful order appears. With base two numeration, Leibniz witnessed the confluence of several intellectual ideas that he was that he was trying to bring together in looking for his general characteristics, or as he called it, characteristica generalis. But also the theological and mystical ideas, because he thought zero denoted nothing and one denoted God. So he was trying to tie it all together. Kind Philosoph- of a black and white thing. Yeah. He even tied it back to some of the uh, ancient Chinese texts. There are symbols in the uh, in the Book of Changes or I Ching called Yingjing, Yijing. These are basically uh, hexagrams. There are 64 hexagrams that consist of six lines on top of each other. The lines can either be solid line or broken line. And what he did, he said, okay, a broken line is going to be a zero, and a solid line is going to be a one. And he discovered that the 64 characters were actually a way of counting in binary. So he thought that he had uncovered the secret meaning of these ancient Chinese texts. So uh, Leibniz actually designed a wheel calculator, the first calculator for doing decimal numbers. And, of course, if you're doing decimal numbers, it's base 10. You've got to have a wheel that rotates and has 10 places. He thought, well, why don't I just have something that uses an on and off switch and use base 2, on for 1 and off for zero. zero. And so he came up with the idea of making a binary calculator, which would have been the first binary computer-like system, but he never actually built it. It took 125 years for binary arithmetic to be fully deployed into a logic system by George Boole. You've heard now heard you've now heard of Boolean uh, Boolean um, uh, arithmetic or yeah. Boolean uh, logic. This but but George Boole, 125 years later, it wasn't binary was not put into computers until after 1946. The original electronic computers were all digital, base 10, and they and they would have counters in them. And it was actually John von Neumann in 1946 that wrote a, an article pleading that the next generation of ENIAC computer. This is the uh, so one of the first, uh, you know, electronic computers with tubes actually used binary numbering systems. But after that, they did use binary, and the thing worked like a champ. And now the rest is history. Everything is binary. Mm. So and, there you go. And you know, we probably know the answer to the question. You get rich off of this back in these days. No, sure. he he was he didn't get rich off of anything. He was basically always working for rich noblemen mm-hmm. on a salary. Didn't really get rich at all. Things were different back in the 16th and 17th. Well, that would have been the 16th century. That's no, I'm a, sorry, the 18th century when he was doing a lot of this stuff. Let's see, the 1700s 17, would be the 18th, 18th century. century. Yeah, That's right. something like math was my strong suit, too. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, or on the web at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell. The security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim Russ. Good morning, and thank you for tuning in to Tech Talk Radio. It's time to play the pop quiz, your chance to turn knowledge into free food. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Gottfried Leibniz who developed binary arithmetic. Today's question, at an early age, Leibniz taught himself two languages. Tell us what they are. Omnibus, you're on the bus, we're on the bus. Oh, hi. If you know the answer to the question, now's the time to pick up your phone and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're looking at your syllabus in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the wildcard line is 877-9-3639-333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your call, so... Dial now. Forty years ago, Apollo blasted off for the moon. And, of course, Neil Armstrong took the first step on the moon with those famous words, that's one small step for man, Mm -hmm. one giant leap for mankind. Now, man walked on the moon for the first time July 21st, 1969, when Armstrong stepped off the space module Eagle and uttered that line. Shortly afterwards, he was joined by Buzz Aldrin. Millions of people around the world saw this history being made before their eyes. The original unseen footage in a computer animation of the historic mission is available at wechoosethemoon.org. I don't know who came up with that. That's really memorable, isn't it? wechoosethemoon.org. All no spaces. wechoosethemoon.org. And I went to wechoosethemoon.org, and it's quite a a nice uh, display of uh, footage. It took Apollo 11 four days from the countdown of the Saturn V rocket at the start of the journey to finally land on the moon. Now, here is a tragedy, though. NASA lost all the original footage of the moon walk. How did they do that? Now, they put a man on the moon, but the original video of the live TV transmission was lost. The space agency admitted on Thursday that it must have erased the Apollo 11 moon footage years ago so it could reuse the videotape. Oh, come on. I'm thinking, this is a kind is of stupid. this is a kind of stuff that people do when they, you know, what they tape a ball game over their over their wedding videotape and then well, they get Well, sometimes that's not a bad idea. It's kind of a common thing that husbands do by mistake and they they get I, not that I would ever have done that, but it's it has happened. No. It turned a huge search began three years ago for the old tapes, and it led to the inescapable conclusion that 40, this is on 45 tapes of the Apollo 11 video were erased and reused. The original videos beamed to the Earth were stored on giant reels of tape, each containing 15 minutes of video along with other data. 
In the 70s and 80s, NASA's, NASA had a shortage of tapes. So it erased 200,000 tapes and Is reused it, them. There are CVS across Space Coast Highway. <laughs> but from now. NASA. Hollywood is coming to the rescue. Oh, thank God. Now, the studio who restored Casablanca uh, to, and made it digitally sharpened is cleaning up the footage of the moon landing. What they did, they didn't have the original footage, which would have been clean and crisp. So they went around the world and tried to find whether, there, you know, there were retransmissions of the footage. And uh, they were able to reclaim, uh, well, as they say, NASA scrounged from around the world four copies of the footage that had been sent over broadcast television, lower mm-hmm. quality. And now they're taking and trying to restore it. And the first batch of restored footage was released just in time for the 40th anniversary. And uh, some of the details uh, seem new because of their, their sharpness. The original unseen footage and a computer animation is available at we choose the moon. That's two O's. Dot org. Two and then two more O's in moon. Yeah, so there mm-hmm. you go. Now, you know, the interesting thing about this moonshot, I mean, if we just want to go back and talk about some of the, uh, some of the, the technology, the guidance system when they landed on the moon was, of course, it was operated by a computer. The computer had a whopping... 36 kilobytes of memory. That's not much. This computer had less power than the computer that's in your kitchen stove. Yeah. They went to the moon on 36 kilobytes. Now, a simple email message today can take up more computer space than that. Mm-hmm. Now, on the plus side, the computer had a mean time be- between failures of 70,000 hours because it was, I mean, it's like a little calculator, yeah. really. Now, th- this reliability led NASA to later use the computer to control the first digital fly-by-wire aircraft without any mechanical backup. Because of the limited memory, the interface to the Apollo computer was primitive, and every command, every word command, had a number code. So, for example, to open a valve, the astronaut would hit verb and then type the number for the word open, Mm -hmm. and then hit noun, and then put the number for valve. So you can put in two numbers, and... And you can see here, there's a, um, here's the, I'll show you the interface there. I'll show you, I'll hold it up to the, I'll hold it up there to the webcam. Oh, so. Yeah, so those of you who are watching on the, uh, on Animal Planet, we've, we've changed affiliations yeah, yeah. here. So, We're going to hold this up. Now the, that. now the thing is, this, this is, yeah, you got that, isn't that, it's, I mean, that's, it's, that well, is. It's black and white, so on HDTV, it's not going to look so good. Now, now what is, now what is interesting, when he was, uh, when he was actually landing on the moon, you know, he was coming down. Uh, you know, they were. It was landing by computer, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the captain. Who was the captain on this thing? Captain Kirk, wasn't it? No, yeah. no. Come on, come on, Neil, Neil, Neil Armstrong, Armstrong. Neil yeah. Armstrong. Come on, let's let's get serious. <laughs> I'm gonna hurt myself. Yeah, Neil, Neil Armstrong looked at, and and he didn't like. They were they were landing on some big some big rock. So he mm-hmm. grabbed the joystick and he repositioned it, and he landed manually about 30 feet over. And when he took over the joystick, there was only 30 seconds worth of fuel. Really? Yeah, so you can, you know, so they were really running on the edge here back, mm. back then. So it's kind of an interesting um, interesting development. And so a lot of uh, a lot of technology has sort of come out of the uh, out of all of the the moon landing, but the computer technology was really quite primitive <laughs> back then. But this is a this is a big event, the 40th anniversary of the moon landing. We haven't been back to the moon since. We haven't. And I bet pr- things have changed on the moon. Yeah. I want to invite you. Probably got Taco Bell up there by now, I think. You know, that's, all that's on the other side of the oh, moon. Oh, the other side See, of the moon. The, the, the dark side of the moon. It's all on the dark side <laughs> of the moon. See, there's, there's, probably a whole, there's probably a whole city of aliens on the dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. You just have to, have to get up there and take get a up look. There. Dry cleaners, all kinds of crazy yeah, stuff. We, we don't even drive no. old 1950s vintage American oh. cars. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Federal News Radio. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, or on the web at stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Amazon is buying Ring. That's the company that makes the smart doorbells. And it, although they have not announced the price, analysts are estimating that Amazon is going to pay more than $1 billion for Ring. Isn't that crazy? Well, it's not crazy, because have you, have you seen a Ring doorbell? It, they're they're, they're nice. great. They are. They're really nice. But what's interesting, when Ring was on Shark Tank, yeah. they were absolutely rejected. Mm-hmm. Completely rejected. I'll talk a bit about that. But now they're worth a billion dollars. Now, Ring CEO and founder Jamie Siminoff said that achieving success wasn't very easy. When he went on to Shark Tank in 2013, he was pitching what he called the DoorBot, a Wi-Fi-enabled doorbell. All the investors but Kevin O'Leary passed, and Kevin O'Leary made a terrible offer, which he rejected, and so there was no deal on DoorBot. And he was really... Bummed out after that show. He said he'd spent $10,000 building props for the pitch. No kidding. The company's staff of eight had spent a month preparing for the show. Wow. They really put, they went all in, but they didn't get an investor, and it seemed like all their efforts were just down the toilet. But after he appeared on Shark Tank, his business saw an immense growth. I mean, it's now been four years since Shark Tank, and his business is now valued at more than a billion dollars. Now, he likes to re- recount uh, back, back in 2010 when he got the idea. 2010, he, he was setting up a shop in his garage because he's always been like a tinkerer. Mm-hmm. He'd been starting businesses. He started sort of one business he sold for $17 million, starting another business. He liked to tinker in the garage. So he was tinkering in the garage, uh, you know, set up his shop in the garage so he could tinker. And But he had a problem. When he was in the garage working, he could not hear the doorbell, uh, you know, from his workspace. Somebody would ring the doorbell in the front door. He couldn't hear it, and then they'd go away. So he was trying to figure out, how can I hear the doorbell from the garage? So he went online looking for some sort of networked or Wi-Fi doorbell, and there was nothing. So he ended up building himself his own Wi-Fi doorbell. So, he, he, he you know, he got the doorbell, hooked it to the Wi-Fi network, and then... Whenever it would ring, it would ring in the garage. And so he was saying, well, this is nice because I, now I can keep inventing in the garage and I can hear the doorbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, he, then he, he, he put sort of a makeshift camera on it so he could see who was out there. 
And, you know, he just he thought, well, this is convenient. I can work in the garage. And if it's, if it's somebody I don't want to see, I don't have to go. I don't have to open the door. So he, he didn't even view this as any kind of business venture at all. It was just enabled him to work on the real businesses. Well, he showed it to his wife, and she loved the idea. She mm-hmm. said, wow, I love the idea of being able to see who's at, on the other side of the door. She said, I feel a lot safer if I know who's out there before I open up the sure. door. See, he never thought of that as a man. Well, and the other thing is, I know somebody who got it just for that reason, for security. Uh-huh. You can be anywhere in the world, and you can see who's messing around at your front door. Yeah. So so then so then he thought, well, this is a pretty good idea. So he started working on this thing, and that's when he came up with DoorBot. And he took it to a Shark Tank in 2012. This was two years after he got the – no, Door, DoorBot launched in 2012, and he, and, he, and he got on Shark Tank in 2013. Now – I mean, it turns out that Lori, uh, who's who's the uh, who's the QVC guy, you know, selling some. She said, "Well, this will never sell on QVC." It it's he he said he he took his products on QVC and they sold 140 million dollars worth of product in 24 hours. Oh my god! It was the biggest QVC event that they'd ever wow. had. So Lori was completely wrong. That's and crazy. so the, the guys, the guys at Shark Tank were completely wrong. I wonder if you know that that kind of sales. I wonder if they had to scramble to make these things. If they had the inventory to cover they, that. They they had. Well, see what what happened was when they went to Shark Tank, they they they'd hardly had any sales. He had eight, he had eight employees. He was almost out of money, and he wouldn't be able to make payroll because he couldn't sell enough to keep eight people on the payroll, and he was just he was like a millimeter from bankruptcy. This was like a, a, a Hail Mary pass. That's right, and so he showed up on Shark Tank, and, and, he, and he walked out. He didn't get a deal, and he says, man, I sunk all this money in Shark Tank, and I don't have a deal. I'm, I'm down, and I'm mm-hmm. out. But it turned out that the visibility in Shark Tank was enormous, and all of a sudden they started selling doorbells. And the first year after Shark Tank, their sales grew to three million dollars. Mm. The first year, and then the and the business kept growing and growing and growing. Now he didn't want to be a one product business, so he started building. And once he got this idea of home security, not just a remote doorbell, he started adding all kinds of other types of devices. Now he's got ten devices. He's got a whole suite of home security systems. And uh, and Amazon wants to get it, and and, and why does Amazon want it? Because oh, I, think about it. Amazon wants to get into your house to deliver ex- packages. Exactly, they want to get into your house, and they they want to own the whole home network. So you've got Apple wants to own your network. You've got Google wants to own the home. Now Amazon wants to own the home. So they like Amazon Echo mm-hmm. is in the home, and they want it to control all, all the smart home devices. So they want this integrated with Echo. They are going after the home as the next big market. First of all, I wonder if this scares folks like FedEx, because this is going to put a dent into what in, into their delivery, don't you think? It could. Um, it's, it's possible. But but also, th- so they want to get into your home. Uh-huh. So think about this. Think about how much time Amazon wastes trying to get into places for which they don't have access. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, for instance, I ordered something from Amazon the other day, and I, there was a new... Uh, page view on the order sheet. They mm-hmm. asked me to give them the entry code to the building. Mm-hmm. So they get in because otherwise I'm in and out of the building all the time. The Amazon guy is standing outside waiting for somebody to let him in. Imagine how much time they waste yeah, doing wow. that. And the other thing is how much money is lost with stolen packages. That's right. So this is a brilliant idea. You know what Amazon's also doing? They're also taking a picture of the package on your front porch when they drop it off. Really? They started that in, in limited northern Virginia. They started it, and I I've I actually got a picture sent to me. They said we've dropped your picture. You know, package was delivered at three at three p.m. and I got a picture of it sitting on the front porch and exactly where it was located. So th- does that absolve? If somebody steals it, does that absolve them of? Um no, but no. It, but it proves to the homeowner that it was, that it was there. delivered. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the thing is, the homeowner doesn't know whether the delivery guy just didn't deliver Good it point. and said he was going to deliver it, or whether it was stolen. Mm-hmm. This way, Amazon can say it was clearly stolen. Right, I see. And I see. so, and so that it, that's really good information. It for is. Them. That's it for this week. Tech Talk Radio returns next Saturday at nine on Federal News Radio, fifteen hundred AM, one zero three five FM HD two, and one zero three nine FM HD two.
Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.